Hello and welcome to Downton Gabby, where we will be discussing the fifth episode of Downton Abbey. It's just Brandy and I today, since Therese is off in snowy Boston doing a screening of her documentary, and we tried recording and she sounded like an underwater robot. So it's just the two of us and our lovely opinions to discuss what was, I thought, a really delightful episode. This is Downton Abbey at its finest, in my opinion. Yes, I enjoyed this episode immensely for the most part. Um, and I guess we should talk about how our our reading of the foreshadowing was not incorrect. Edith is in a family way. I know. And I wish it could be met with more joy. I read this article on Vulture today that was saying, why, why are all these pregnancies just fraught with tragedy on Delton yeah. Abbey? And it, it brings up a good point. Yeah, I don't, I mean, because it's the Julian Fellows way to have everything that can go wrong, go wrong, basically. I mean, this is the dude who had uh, somebody die when Mary lost her virginity. So, mm, I mean, right, right. I guess at, at least Michael didn't drop dead when he and Edith had sex. Do we think Julian Fellows has some issues i, I mean, think he's got lots of issues <laughs> seriously I mean. he has issues with sex and pregnancy and women being happy in general i mean yeah this was a really positive thing for edith she lost her virginity to someone she loves and how many women in that era could say that i don't know probably not enough and and now i i'm just wondering what she's gonna do um she got this letter from the doctor, which, oh my God, like someone easily could have intercepted that. I'm actually surprised that didn't happen. I mean, thank God we have the internet now and private messaging from our doctors that we can just sign in and do that because yeah, anybody could have intercepted the letter. I also have to criticize Edith a little bit because she kept crying in the most public rooms. I know. Well, I mean... I think that is part of Edith's psychology, right? She's she's crying in the library, like, and then shocker of shock, you know, the dude who hangs out in there all the time, her father finds her. And, you know, she ends up turning what could be touching supportive moments with both of her parents into just like, well, why do you even care? You don't even love me as much as you love your other daughters anyway. So, Which is a valid point. I mean, they, <laughs> she is the least beloved, but... Yeah, if you have to say you love all your children equally, maybe something's amiss. Yeah, so Edith, I I don't know. I mean, what's going on with Michael? What is he doing? Is he purposely missing or do we think something terrible has happened to him? What do we think? Um, I know that Teresa thinks that this has something to do with the Fuhrer. So. Well, she's trying to work those fascists. Back yeah, up. I think we're a little early for that, but... um. I have no idea, and I'm wondering now if there's going to be something where as soon as Edith decides to, you know, pursue an illegal abortion and quote-unquote take care of it, that he'll reappear at just the sad moment when it's too late for them to have a family. I, I mean, I don't know. Do you think Edith would have an abortion? I, I don't know. Well, yeah, based on her strange racist comment, which we'll get to during the party which i thought was out of line with her character and that's a whole nother criticism but based on that she has some conservative views so i don't know if she is that progressive i think she would keep it i don't know if it's a matter of being progressive or not it's just like 
her desperate situation, right? Is she going to be able to tell her family after all the humiliations that right. she suffered that this has happened to her? You know, like this is a pretty big deal being an unwed mother, especially in the upper classes. So I could also see her trying to hide it in the hopes that he comes back and then having some dramatic moment when like Mary walks in on her after having made some comment about how Edith's looking fat earlier or something. And she gives birth at the prom. Yeah. Yeah. Something <laughs> yeah. like that. Something like that. She, she faints during a very important party and then the doctor comes and is like, don't worry, the baby's fine. And everyone gasps. Right. What baby. <laughs> that could totally happen. There's a lot of ways this could go, and as usual, none of them seem to be really great for Edith. No, and, you know, she's got all these fabulous outfits, her fabulous life in London. I just want to, I want her life to turn around, but I feel like she's always going to be the character that's going to be shit on. And, you know, we expect something terrible to happen because that's all that her role is on the show, is for tragedy to happen to her. Yeah. So... All right, well, let's see. What else is going on upstairs in this episode? Um, Bitchy Mary is back. What, yeah. What, what, what? Evelyn Napier and Charles Blake have come to stay. And I love how Mary and Charles are so instantly bitchy to, to each other that you're like, oh, these two are going to make out. Like, there's no, nobody hates each other in that particular way on a TV show unless later they're going to make out. Yeah, or bone down in a closet and then slap each other and then go back to the party. Yeah. Yeah, scandal style. Mm-hmm. I love their little, I love their little banter. And, you know, it's great to see her claws out. I, I've always enjoyed Bitchy Mary. Um, you know, it's sad for Evelyn because he's totally stuck in the friend zone again. I mean, the boy doesn't <laughs> learn. He keeps bringing these, like, ridiculously good-looking, charming guests. It's like, dude, find some other Oh, yeah. Friends. Stop bringing your cuter friends around. Like, yeah, rule number one. And I like that we got to hear Mary sort of talk about, she, you know, she's always had this notion of like some people being on this on their side, on the side of the monarchy, and some people being against them. Mm-hmm. And I, I always like when that aspect of her character comes out because I think it's quite intriguing and it does inform a lot of the way that she acts, the the face that she puts forward towards the world. Right. No, I totally agree. Um, I also really was happy to give this episode, um, about an 8.5 on the sparkly headband scale. So it was pretty Yeah. It's some good headbands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Mary was off the charts, just zinging here, zinging there. Although the one scene that I really thought was the strongest scene of the entire season and just so touching was the scene with her and Tom and Isabel in the nursery. Yeah, that about, was a great scene. Oh my god. It's like that's why the show is so good. And I feel like I could have used five more minutes of that scene. I felt like it ended too soon and it was so touching and I definitely teared up. Granted, I did cry at the uh dog horse Budweiser commercial early <laughs> in the evening. So it's not saying much, but yeah, it was very touching. Yeah, and I I like the way they're still sort of playing with uh Tom's confusion over how he feels about his connection to Downton or his lack of a connection and hearing him actually talk about Sybil brought that home again because he's been talking about his life in the abstract 
and sort of avoiding talking about her, it seems like. So it was it was lovely to see him remember a little bit. I feel much more nostalgic and romantic about their love after she's died than I did when they were actually together. I know. I think when they were together, I was like, you can do better than the chauffeur. He's always telling you what to do. He was very controlling. Yeah. Well, he's grown up a lot. Tragedy can do that to a person. Yeah, he's not just burning down houses, even though it was a hideous house, as the Dowager said. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good old times. Well, then, of course, the uh, eternal bloodbath between Isabel and the Dowager (laughs) over this letter knife continues. Um, I really did enjoy Isabel's Columbo moment. Yes, yes. Her little scheme was quite hilarious. I mean, probably the best scheme we've seen so far this season, which has been, you know, full of pathetic people skulking around with no nothing to find out. So this was great. And uh, we got some more Sprat. I know Teresa would have been... Uh, really appreciated that Sprat and peg her two favorites but i do have to say it was the first place isabel looked i mean she sat down in the chair and then there it is yeah <laughs> it was pretty silly but of course always a good tete-a-tete with her and the dowager and you know saying how does it feel to be wrong oh i don't know i don't know that emotion often or something like that oh yeah maggie smith had a ton of great one-liners in this one this was just like, like this was an episode full of great lines like the the dialogue is, was really hitting its paces on finally yeah it really felt like season one of downton like really good season one like just the total escapist fun and um you know lots of zingers and you know it it felt like it went quick there was a lot going on Absolutely. There was a lot going on. So if we want to go downstairs for a minute. Um, Always, Brandy. I, I, I'm, <laughs> let's take it downstairs. Uh, <laughs> I'm very sad that Teresa can't record with us because she did confess that she enjoyed the Anna and Bates scenes. I know. On this episode. Dying I to mean, know what you think. I, okay. I enjoyed the date because I always enjoy a good date. And, I mean, we got to see the creepiest of creepy Cora faces in the history of Cora faces. My God, when she glided over to them in that restaurant, like a specter who just, like, these wide cheeks and no blinking. <laughs> like, so the, whoever was directing this episode needed to be, like, dial it back a notch because you look like you're high. <laughs> yeah, she did look like she was high. But it was very sweet. It, she was very sweet. I enjoyed that they had a date. And points for Cora, I actually do have to say, I've noticed that she, in public, always sticks up for the servants, always acts like they're one of the family. You know, she's kind of progressive in that way, which I think is really cool. She never embarrasses them. She never acts, you know, higher station than them. And I think that's pretty cool. And, you know, it seems more normal to us now, but I bet it was a big deal back then to act that way. Yeah, I think the show gets a fair amount of flack for how not historically accurate the relationships between upstairs and downstairs are but i if it makes the show more enjoyable to watch i don't really care like i'm not really watching this for a major history lesson in how the class is interacted just stay within the realm of sort of possibility and i'm happy totally um but so yeah with their date I just, you know, once again, it's all about Bates and how he's feeling and he's brooding and I'm so sorry you have these feelings and, you know, it's just, 
At least he was self-aware. Like, I did really like that line, your husband is a brooder and brooders brood. I mean, that was a good line. And I was like, all right, well, at least he knows he's acting that way. Yeah, that's true. And then we had in the notes that, you know, we all like the I'm not a victim line. Yeah, yeah. That was nice. That was a nice gleam of the old Anna, so. Yeah, and I and I love that because I actually don't think either of them wants her to be a victim. I don't think he wants to either. I think he wants to, you know, do the vengeance because that's what he thinks he should do as a man. But I like that neither of them wants to keep her in that victim role, which is nice. Yeah, you know, and he's sort of blaming himself for not protecting her. But again, like, that's just the kind of dude that he is. I don't think he's putting any sort of blame on her side of the of what happened you know like he's just blaming himself and I don't know I I hope that things continue to get better for them and perhaps Bates will give up on his idea of tracking down the attacker and committing crime but who knows it was nice to see their date close and see them outside the house it was really nice yes yes so more of that please more fun times well then the other date jimmy and ivy i mean when they went bad on the bench i literally was screaming please don't make me go through another rape please i can't i can't do it but we knew that jimmy was gonna pull something like this at some point he's gotten so creepy i'm just waiting for him to visit a brothel on one episode and like end up seeing some old downton maid who's fall becoming yet another fallen woman right edna (laughs) yeah Edna had a relapse. <laughs> Isabel would be so disappointed. I mean, it's just... Uh, I don't know what to do about Jimmy. I mean, he's just a loaded cannon, and it's only a matter of time until Carson kicks him out. And I don't know, it's just it's so weird to me that they made his character like this because he was so appalled by how forward Thomas was. But yet he's yeah. acting even more, you know skeevy towards ivy than thomas ever was and i understand you know that was because thomas was gay and stuff but it's also like you act really weird towards ivy too so yeah i think he's just in his head he thinks he should be a big city london boy instead of stuck at downton and i mean i don't even know what they're gonna do with him now that that, like so ivy's gonna apparently wash her hands of him Alfred's gone now, so what, is it going to be him and Mosley talking to each other in the kitchen? I mean, I I think this character has pretty much run his course, and so I'm about ready for him to hit the curb, too. He he will, you're right, because all of his counterparts have left. Well, which, this is classic Julianne. No, you didn't get into the school. Yes, you did. Now go. You know, it's like, sometimes I feel like it's such a cheap trick, like you're milking an extra episode. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there could have been something interesting there, you know, because there there is sometimes this undercurrent of storylines of the downstairs folks wondering if they could have had a different sort of life, you know, Mrs. Hughes' romance and stuff like that. And Alfred dealing with this failure might have been able to turn into something interesting. And instead, he just actually you're in bye bye what was the point of that delay in this storyline it was just cheap you know it's like breaking the hobbit into three movies you know it's just (laughs) like come on we see what you're trying to do 
Um, But I did have to say his his goodbye speech to Daisy was very sweet and very real. And, you know, you know, I don't know if she fully got it since she's still yelling at Ivy, but maybe it was just pent up. She just needed to yell at her because she's such a stupid bitch, you know, (laughs) but I do think. Which Mrs. Hughes basically said, too. Like, (laughs) oh, my God. Can we even just talk about Mrs. Patmore and Carson and basically their stand up comedy routine that they should just build based off this episode? Because they were cracking me up. Okay, the Valentino exchange was one of the finest things that's ever happened on this show. Yeah, I mean, I love how in the Vulture recap, they were like, basically, Mrs. Patmore wanted to get jiggy with it. And I think that's completely valid. (laughs) She totally wanted to get jiggy with it. But them two together were, because they don't often like play off each other as much. And it was so funny this episode. I was laughing out loud so much. Yeah. That was great. And then uh, Carson had another moment that I just kind of tossed my hands up at when he practically fell over with shock when a black man walked into the kitchen. (laughs) And then talked about Africa. And he's like, I've never been to Africa. (laughs) That was so awkward. That was like if I invited a Muslim guy to dinner with my dad. Like, that's what would happen. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It was just just like trying to be polite, but a complete and utter lack of understanding. (laughs) Totally. I do have to say, though, I thought his singing was better in this episode. And mm-hmm. I mean, the party seemed really fun. I expected Lord Grantham to be more stuffy about it. I was honestly shocked when he was, you know, A-OK with it. I think he had a pretty shocked look on his face at first. And Cora was giving her little smile to him like, what's it going to be, dear? Isn't this fun? And he just kind of gave in. I mean. At that point, what's the what? What is he gonna do? They're already set up. They're already playing. I don't right. know. But it, I know. But it would be kind of interesting if maybe Cora was kind of racist because I mean there was so much racism in America, you know. Well, I think having a guy having a guy play at your party is probably one thing, and then I mean, who knows what the reaction is gonna be when people find out inevitably find out that. He, this same guy was actually canoodling with Rose in the basement. Right. I think that's going to be a completely different thing. And probably part of the um, good reaction that they had in this episode is going to be to provide contrast for later on when they're like, well, it's one thing, you know, for him to be an entertainer and another thing to be a part of the family. Totally. What do you think Mary's going to do with that information about Rose and him making out? I mean, I feel like she's probably just going to threaten Rose at first and be like, you can't see Mr. Ross again. But Rose is obviously not going to listen. But she's a master manipulator. So I definitely feel like like when she was watching her very calculatedly, I was like, oh, she's just going to use this information for herself to have power over Rose. But what can Rose give her? I mean. Well, that's why we have the rest of the season, Brandy. I think there's going to be some very interesting interesting interactions between the two of them, for sure. Which is um, good, because they've kind of exist, existed in separate realms at this point, so... Yeah, yeah. No, I'm interested to see how this goes, for sure. And uh, I, I'm glad that apparently this guy will be sticking around for at least one more episode, because he is very cute. I mean, we've gotten a, a parade of cute dudes, so yeah, that part of this... Yeah, it's been really nice. Really not complaining about, so... Yeah, I did think it was just so weird that they made 
he did say that racist comment though that just like it just didn't make sense she's in london she's in she's in this journalism i mean she's more in touch with modern times than any of the rest of them i thought that was just so jarring oh maybe that's why she keeps dating old guys yeah, she <laughs> she's, does, like, she does like she's not a member dudes. of her own generation <laughs> she does love old dudes that's hilarious yeah <laughs> Yeah, so I know Therese had some notes about, um, you know, soon to be Paul Giamatti's character of, um, you know, Cora's brother is having these financial problems. Yeah, they're so they're obviously starting to introduce that, that. I'm not sure when he's supposed to show up, but starting to get ready for it. She says this was a reference to a real thing called the Teapot Dome scandal, which sounds like something I vaguely remember from like eighth grade history, but, but uh. It Before sounds like an age. episode of Under the Dome to me, but. <laughs> the teapot dome. There's another yeah. tiny dome inside of the dome. The dolls <laughs> have their own dome. A bribery incident that took place in the United States from 1920 to 1923 during the administration of President Warren G. Harding. Okay. Cool. You can, listeners, you can Wikipedia that if you want to know more. Right. Um, well, what do you think is going to happen next week, Brandy? I don't know. I didn't even watch the previews, so um, I guess we'll probably get the aforementioned Mary Rose showdown starting a little bit more scandal there. Um, I, maybe these pigs are going to show up that they kept talking about. Right. They're going to bring pigs into town. That's all I can think about. <laughs> I, can think I love when Ed, the, can I just mention the dinner scene when he was trying to call Mary a hypocrite for like, Eating bacon, Eating bacon <laughs> but, but being a little queasy about the idea of, like, butchering animals at Downton. And I was just like, oh, this, you know, in modern times, I still have to have this conversation with, like, vegetarians. So I was going to say, <laughs> this is like, pain. this is half my conversations living in the Bay Area, especially when I lived in Berkeley. It's like, yeah, this is half my conversations. So, yeah, I, I understand totally it. it. <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. Yeah, I feel like, you know, this. Edith's situation is only going to get more intense. Um, I really hope Michael's not dead. But again, she likes old guys. I mean, he could have just died of a heart attack. I mean, he's old. He I mean, just... I feel more like he's going to show up again at the most possible dramatic moment because it would be so weird to just have him disappear and never have an explanation and never show up again. Right. That, that would just be bizarre. Like he's going to show up like he's been riding the rails across Europe to get back to her. And he's like, looks like a homeless man. And she's like, here's your child. <laughs> yeah. He shows up all burned and speaking a different accent and has to convince her that he's Michael. Oh, my God. And then we realize Downton Abbey is really a time travel show and it's basically Looper. And then that guy was Michael Gregson. Whoa. Whoa. Oh, my God. That's exactly it all makes sense. Happen. It all makes sense. Wait, and is then Mosley? It's mostly Matthew and Mary's son grown up, but then he's <laughs> back, and that's how he's the heir to Downton. They did seem to not know what his first name was on this episode, so <laughs> maybe it's George. Who knows? I'm telling you, there's a huge twist waiting for us. <laughs> all roads lead to Mosley being the heir to Downton. I'm just saying, Doctor Who could show up at any moment. <laughs> And, Talk about uh, the doctor. My God, why does he have to keep showing up with Isabel at the Dowagers? Like, don't you have people to treat and to save? Why are you coming on these errands? This is 
She's not into you. Get over it. God. His complete mortification at walking in when she was already dressed for dinner was pretty hilarious, though. Oh, my God. Just... There's just a lot of funny moments on this episode. I really overall enjoyed it. There's a few things that could be moving forward a little faster for my taste and, you know, the the usual complaints. But overall, this was very satisfying. Definitely. Well, delightful ep- episode, Julian. Keep it up. Whoever helped you write that scene with Isabel, Tom, and Mary, (laughs) give them a raise. Let them keep writing because that was a beautiful scene. And we will see everybody next week. You can find us on Tumblr at DowntonGabby.tumblr.com. You can find us on Facebook at DowntonGabby. And on Twitter at, you guessed it, DowntonGabby. Send us your thoughts. Send us what your favorite moments were from the last episode. And if you get a chance, write us a review on iTunes. Awesome. Thanks so much, everyone.